Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster, and you're listening to Who's Afraid, a weekly podcast of awesome serialized horror fiction written by amazing authors, performed for you by professional narrators, and brought to you by SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Chapter 11 Ted had no clue if they were running in the right direction. It was so easy to get turned around in the tangled growth. The strange red sky painted their surroundings in muddy shadow, making everything blend together confusingly. Branches ripped at their flesh and pulled at their hair as they focused on putting one foot in front of the other. That bitch is following us, Susan panted. Not now, Ted warned. An arrow whistled past Ted's head and lodged in a nearby tree with a heavy thunk. He stumbled and felt Susan's strong hands grab his shirt and steady him as another arrow zipped over his head. I don't know how much longer I can run, Susan groaned. As long as it takes, Ted said. I don't want to wind up being someone's dinner tonight. To their left, up a steady incline, Ted saw a fire burning. He turned in that direction, aware of the danger, but helpless to stop his body from responding. Moths to a flame. The road is up there, Julie shouted. That's the way out of town. We don't need your help, Susan called over her shoulder. Leave us alone. We're done with you. Please, just help me get out of here and we'll go our separate ways. I'm not helping you do anything. You lost that right. You're on your own. Ted saw a warped, battered guardrail at the top of the hill. Julie was right. This was the way to the road. He fought with himself over Julie's fate. On one hand, he knew he'd never be able to look at her again, not after what she'd told them. On the other, the woman knew more about the area and would likely be helpful in getting them out of this mess. Susan would never agree to allowing Julie to rejoin them, so he kept his thoughts to himself. When Susan said she'd killed Julie, Ted was certain she wasn't just posturing. Several more arrows whipped over their heads as they steadily climbed to the road. The brush here was so thick not even an expert marksman could sink an arrow with any accuracy. Just as the thought crossed Ted's mind, Julie cried out and fell into the bed of wet leaves. He stopped and turned, watching Julie writhe on the ground with an arrow jutting from beneath her right shoulder blade. The crimson sky made Julie's blood appear black as it ran over her side and into the moss and dirt. Come on, Susan said. If they want her, they can have her. Ted frowned, nodded, and turned away. Leaving her didn't feel right. It went against everything in his nature to let her bleed out on the forest floor when he was only steps away. Julie had sealed her fate. If she'd left the door ajar, Susan has effectively slammed it and nailed it shut. Please, Julie pleaded. Please help me. I don't want to die like this. Ted and Susan kept moving. Please, I know I don't deserve your help, but you know what they're going to do to me. We can only hope, Susan muttered, and kept walking. They put distance between them and Julie, stopping at the guardrail and peering both ways along the broken street. Pine Lakes was no longer in view, but still Ted heard the commotion back at the Triple Seven. 
At least the entire angry mob wasn't hunting them. Ted crawled over the rail and grabbed Susan's hand to help her onto the road. In the dim light, he watched Julie crawl to her feet and stagger after them, the arrow waving from her back. Her labored breathing sounded wet, bubbly. Their pursuers closed the distance behind them. The forest was alive with the sounds of short whistles and shouts, some form of communication. Down the road, a large group broke away from the pack and began running toward them, carrying their handmade weapons above their heads. Emma had either gone back to her hiding place in the forest, or they'd gotten to her. Ted and Susan fled in the opposite direction as Julie pulled herself over the steel guardrail and fell to the road with a grunt. Ted watched her struggle to her feet and noticed the tip of the arrow had pierced through the flesh right above Julie's right breast. Blood ran over her stomach in a thin trickle. The arrow had gone right through her. The further they ran, the darker it became. The deeply pitted road made it nearly impossible to run. They kept tripping, stumbling, twisting their ankles in potholes and crevices in the street surface. The approaching mob didn't have that problem. They knew this road inside and out. The crowd laughed as time and again Ted and Susan tripped over the uneven asphalt, losing ground each time. After what felt like hours, Ted came up short and nearly fell to the road. A massive mound of dirt, at least fifteen feet high, stood in front of them, blocking the road. At its base was a layer of bones, bleached white and brittle from age. Ted stepped through them, pushing aside skulls and vertebrae with his foot. Smaller bones crunched and crackled beneath his feet. Some animal, mostly human. He winced, wondering who they'd belonged to, what they'd gone through to get here. Hollow eyes and grinning mouths mocked his passing. Watch your step, he said as Susan waded through the pile. Who are all these people, she moaned. I don't know, but I don't want to join them. Come on. They climbed the mountain of loose dirt, careful not to slide backward. Arrows clattered to the street below them as the crowd got within range. Their shouts and jeers had become louder and more frantic. Ted reached the top of the heap, collapsed, and pulled Susan up behind him. They lie on their backs, panting, staring into a sky the color of rust. At the base of the mound, Ted heard bones being pulverized by passing feet. He looked down and watched Julie scrabble over the pile. It hurt him to watch her struggle. Hurt him to see blood dribbling from her wound and spattering the remnants of the dead. But Susan was right. She no longer deserved their help. Julie pawed at the soft dirt and began ascending the mound. Where do you think you're going, girl? A voice shouted. Jack's voice. The group had caught up and formed a line at the boundary of bones. Jack stood in front, leading the cavalry, a giant axe held in his fist. You three are some trouble, Jack said. Ask yourselves what lies on the other side of this pile. Anything is better than this, Susan yelled. Is it? I wouldn't be so sure of that, he chuckled. Jack raised the axe above his head and threw it with all his strength. Ted watched it appear in slow motion, reaching out to Susan trying to pull her out of the way. But he realized a second too late that Jack's aim was true. He opened his mouth to scream, but nothing came out. The sharpened blade gleamed in the red light as it spun end over end toward them, 
He closed his eyes, ready for the meaty thump as it dug deep into Susan's flesh. All of this had been for nothing. Suddenly, the air in front of them blazed with brilliant blue light, and the axe disintegrated, covering them in black ash. Ted reached out with a trembling hand and wiped the black dust from Susan's shoulders. His hand was covered in oily smears. Well, would you look at that, Jack grumbled. What just happened? Susan asked. Just because you've breached the barrier doesn't mean a thing, Jack cried angrily. Do you think you're the first to cross the border? It's a pile of dirt, Jack, not Mount Olympus, Ted shouted. The extent of your knowledge could slide through the eye of a needle. Do you think you turned up here accidentally? Everything happens for a reason, boys and girls, and you're going to be in for a rude awakening when it finally hits home. You and your posse are so smart and all-knowing, and yet you're still here in the town that time forgot. Living in the dark, eating each other for survival. That's your rude awakening, Jack. An arrow raced toward them from the tree line, and just as before, it burst into blue light and vanished. Ted chuckled. Whatever magic the old woman had used to protect the motel must also protect the exit. It wasn't that Jack didn't want to leave this place. He couldn't. Emma had sealed the borders, quarantined the plague that was Jack and his men. The look on Jack's face said it all. He knew he'd lost. You two will suffer for this, he shouted. Do you think you're just going to walk away? That's exactly what we think, Susan said. Maybe your luck has taken a turn for the worse. You better empty out, Jack. This time tomorrow, this place is going to be overrun with the police. They'll burn it to the ground. Burn you all to the ground. Jack laughed unexpectedly. Honey, ain't no one coming here. You can bet the house on that. This is mine. You're welcome to it, Ted said. He stood and looked at the assembled mob, suddenly feeling like king of the hill. Susan stood next to him. Ted felt the heat baking off her skin, felt her perspiration soaking through her clothing. The mob lowered their weapons and stared at them with angry, bloodshot eyes. Jack stood still, arms crossed over his large chest. We're going to take that one back with us, he pointed. Ted looked and saw Julie a few feet below. Her movement had slowed. She breathed harshly, gasping for air reaching a pale hand toward them. Please, she begged. Susan stepped back and shook her head slowly. Never. Not after what you've done. So she told you her little tale, Jack said. Pleasant story, isn't it? Jack stepped forward and crushed a skull beneath a massive boot. Come down, Julie. You know you aren't going anywhere. It won't be allowed. No, she cried. I won't go back. I won't. An arrow hissed from the crowd and buried itself in Julie's thigh. A second arrow pierced the flesh of her other calf as she shrieked into the night. She peered up at Ted and Susan, eyes full of pain, both physical and emotional. The game was at an end. Go, she said. You don't belong here. No one belongs here. But we all pay for our sins in different ways. Find the resort. Come on, girl, Jack called. We have plans for you. Julie crawled another foot up the side of the pile, 
her body shaking from pain and exhaustion. Still, she soldiered on. Come down here now. If you're lucky, we'll let you live. Live? I haven't lived since I got here, and that's my fault. But I'm not going to let you punish me anymore. It's not your right to punish me. I'll pay for what I've done, but not at your hands. A machete spun through the air and buried itself in the dirt next to her head. She crawled another foot. You will be judged, Jack growled. Yes, Julie said as blood frothed from her mouth. But not by you. Julie dug her feet into the soft earth and pushed herself to the top of the mound, reaching a hand over the edge, brushing Ted's shoe with probing fingers. Ted stepped back, pulling Susan with him. Whatever was happening here, it was out of their hands now. She pulled herself up and over the edge of the bank and sat at their feet, staring out over the crowd, arrows jutting from her flesh. Slowly she stood, spreading her arms and pointing her face to the sky. The blood dribbling down her back stopped and began smoking, sizzling on her flesh. Susan gagged and turned away at the stink, but Ted couldn't peel his eyes away as Julie's flesh rippled with unknown heat. Maybe I'll see you in hell, Jack, she screamed. I'll be waiting to tear you apart. Giant welts appeared on Julie's back before the flesh tore open, bleeding bright orange light from within. The skin on her shoulders crackled and bubbled and turned black as the flames raced up her spine. Holes opened in her flesh, pouring thin shafts of light into the sky. White smoke poured from her hair before bursting into flame, turning her head into a blazing torch. Julie screamed as her body was consumed, screamed until the fire shriveled her lungs. Teeth exploded in her mouth like fireworks. Her blazing body slumped and she fell to her knees, pawing at her face with hands that had become blackened mitts. The light hurt Ted's eyes. In a gust of hot wind, Julie collapsed and tumbled to the bottom of the hill. By the time she reached the carpet of bones, she'd become just like them. Her blackened skeleton burst apart and came to rest amidst the others, her skull rolling out into the road with gray smoke drifting from its empty eyes. Julie had chosen her own fate. Jack rumbled deep in his chest and belted out the loudest, most primal cry Ted had ever heard. Jack ran to Julie's smoking remains and kicked her skull like a football, sending it sailing over the guardrail and into the forest. Susan turned, wrinkling her nose at the hot stink of singed flesh and hair. She watched Jack jump up and down like a child, crushing the bones beneath his feet to powder. He was so used to having his way that losing control so completely was a simple joy to behold. Ted laughed. You think this is the end? You think she won? Win or lose, she's no longer yours to control, Ted said. And neither are we. She'll beg to come back to me, Jack hollered. She'll scratch at the walls of her prison until her fingers turn to mush and scream until her throat bleeds my name. Jack screamed and punched the man standing next to him, dropping him to the road. He grabbed the man's machete and cleaved his skull in half in a spray of blood and meat. The crowd backed away, dropping their weapons with a clatter. Jack cut through them like thick vines, leaving scattered limbs in his wake. This isn't over, Jack panted. There will be more. 
There's always more. He dropped the machete, breathing heavily. Sweat popped from his pores and ran down his quivering face. She'll rot in hell and you'll join her. Mark my words. You're already there, Ted said, and you're too fucking stupid to realize it. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Jack turned and scuffed his feet in the thick pool of blood beneath his boots. As he walked away, he left tracks to mark his passing. The crowd dispersed and disappeared into the darkness, back to Pine Lakes where the shadows crawled over the dead. Ted and Susan stepped carefully across the top of the pile and descended to the road on the other side. The town, Jack and Julie's memory left in the dust of the past. Susan stopped Ted and wrapped her arms around him in a great bear hug. The smooth flesh of her cheek nuzzled into his neck as she cried harshly. Ted smelled the scent of ashes in her hair. We're dead, Susan moaned, the sound of her voice muffled and thick. No, baby, we're free. I've never felt so alive, he shouted. It's not over, Ted, she cried. You don't understand. What are you talking about? Baby, we won. We're dead. We're actually dead. You're talking crazy, Ted said, pushing Susan away and holding her at arm's length. We've been through a lot. You're not thinking straight. No, Ted. I'm thinking straighter than I have since we got here. It's the only thing that makes sense. What makes sense? We never survived the crash, she said, pausing and staring directly into his eyes. We died, Ted, and this is hell. Ted didn't say a word to Susan as they left the town behind them. What was there to say? He feared Susan had left a fragile part of her sanity behind at the pile of bones. Had they escaped this insanity only to dive headfirst into another? The red sky had given way to low, gray clouds. The forest on either side had become lusher, more fragrant, more natural. Susan walked with her head down, staring at her feet, muttering to herself, Baby, what's the first thing you want to eat when we get home? Ted asked, trying to lighten the mood. The first thing? What? I could go for some Kentucky Fried Chicken. Big bucket of grease with a side of mashed potatoes and coleslaw. And biscuits. I could eat the ass out of a horse right now. Wonderful. What about you? What do you want? Susan seemed to think it over before stopping in the middle of the road. I want you to look at me like I'm not crazy. I don't think you're crazy, he said, choosing his words carefully. After all we've been through, it's hard not to think something is off. We're the ones who are off, she mumbled. They said we don't belong here. And they're right, Ted. They're absolutely right. I know this is crazy, but that's all it is a town full of rednecks with nothing better to do than... Ted, Susan interrupted. She stopped and wiped her face with her hands. It's more than that and you know it. You have to. I don't know what you want me to say, he said, throwing his hands in the air. I want you to acknowledge the fact that something has gone very wrong here. Of course I do. It's been a fucked up day. Susan sighed harshly. Is that what you really believe? that we've had a string of bad luck? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Then you're the one who's crazy, she shouted. Can you explain any of this rationally? 
the hounds, the cave, Emma and the motel, witches and spells, albino monsters living in the sewer with the sea creature guarding the exits? Does any part of that sound like something you've ever heard outside of a movie? A woman burst into flames in front of our eyes. For Christ's sake, Ted, you have to see it. I don't accept that, he muttered. It isn't possible. And this is? A forgotten town on the edge of the twilight zone with cannibal inbreds? Hollywood couldn't write this shit if they locked everyone in a room for a hundred years and forced them to pin a script at gunpoint. Fine, Ted yelled. You tell me what you think is going on. I already have, she sighed. I know you don't want to hear it, but nothing else makes sense. That we're dead? That we died in the crash and this has all been some crazy dream? Not a dream. It's happening. Whatever this place is, it's real. I can see and hear, Ted shouted. I can feel. Could I do that if I was dead? You're not understanding what I'm saying. I hear you. Every word. But you're not fucking listening. Ted lowered his head and shook it furiously, planting his hands on his hips. Then start making sense. Emma said those woods are on a very thin line. Do you remember that? Ted nodded. What if that thin line is the one between the living and the dead? Heaven and hell. She said she's trapped here. That she can't leave. She just helps people on their way. What if her punishment is to help others through this place? Help them find their direction? To heaven or hell? Do you know how that sounds? Of course I do, she agreed. But nothing makes sense here. Nothing we've seen or heard can be explained away. You really believe it, don't you? Susan nodded. One of those hounds dragged you away into the forest, to a burning cave, a fiery hole in the earth. And I got away. Then maybe that wasn't your door, your way out. I think Pine Lakes lies between two paths, a stopping point between one or the other, and that decisions here decide which direction you end up taking. Stop, Sue, please, Ted said. I can't listen to this. It's been hard enough without losing you. You're not losing me. I'm right here. No, you're not. You're living in some fantasy because that's the only way you can deal with this. I'm just not willing to come along for the ride this time. I'm sorry. You're sorry? Were you there when dead children crawled out of the ground? Oh, that's right. You were the one stabbing them with a sharp fucking stick. What are you talking about? Susan looked at him, shocked. Are you being willfully dense right now? That's really nice, Sue. Really nice. Why don't you just blame this entire thing on me, huh? I crashed the car on purpose, right? Ted, calm down. You really don't remember? There's nothing to remember. We crashed the car. And I'm sorry you've had to live through that again, but... You don't remember, she whispered. What about the cabin? Emma's cabin? What about it? What are you doing right now? Are you trying to prove a point? Prove a point? No. Why? You're being silly, babe. Let's get going, okay? We can call from the resort and put this behind us. I hope the wrecker can get the Cuda out of the woods. Maybe I can put her back together. The Cuda's not there anymore. You know that. Of course it is. Where else would it be? Susan was getting frightened. Ted's sense of humor was, 
at times completely misplaced, but even he wouldn't go this far to play a prank. We saw it back at the motel in the parking lot, remember? So they did get it out, he exclaimed. Thank God. I bet that's going to cost us an arm and a leg. Ted? Wait, did you call for help at the motel? No, we couldn't. No big deal. The resort has a phone. Ted started walking, whistling a tune under his breath like he was taking a stroll to the convenience store. How is this happening? Susan thought. Ted, is there a town called Pine Lakes? A town? Ted thought for a moment and wrinkled his brow. I don't think so. Why? Nothing, she muttered. Just curious. There's a pine grove, he continued. Pine Creek, Pine Crest, Twin Oaks, Elmview. Whole bunch of places named after trees, he chuckled. My God, I'm losing him. They walked for a mile without saying anything. Susan was afraid to engage in conversation, scared of what Ted would say next. Was he losing his mind or was she losing hers? She was no longer certain. A chilly wind blew down the road, whipping the trees and blowing ash from Susan's hair. She shivered and looked into the sky, surprised to see the clouds slowly breaking apart and revealing a sprinkling of stars. It was beautiful. She scanned the sky for familiar constellations but found none. These stars looked different. Odd pairings and groupings of light she didn't recognize. When she started dating Ted, they'd often go to the lookout above their hometown and gaze at the sky. It was Ted's way of being romantic. He'd point out constellations, the hazy belt of the Milky Way, the quickly winking specks of light he said were orbiting satellites. He was fascinated by astronomy. He studied it frequently before the Barracuda became his main obsession. Susan frowned at the irony. Maybe if they'd just kept looking at the sky, none of this would have happened. It was amazing how one simple decision can change the entire course of your life. It's clearing up, Susan called ahead. You can see the stars. Ted looked up and pointed. Right there is Ursa Minor. Cassiopeia. Sagittarius. Wait, that's weird. They should be there. I don't recognize that one there. He pointed at a large cluster of stars that resembled a smiling face. Two red giants spread apart to look like eyes gazing down at them. The air is clear out here. We can't see all of this in town, he said. That's the only explanation. The stars don't change. Susan sighed and went back to moping. She'd hoped Ted would see the alien sky and realize that something was different. Something had changed but he simply went on walking. When a strange green moon peeked between the clouds, she didn't have the energy to point it out to him. It wasn't their moon. It was pocked with millions of years of meteor strikes and surrounded by a glistening cloud of rock and ice. Susan watched as it was swallowed by clouds once again. The brief glimpse of the cosmos was a fleeting one, but Susan had seen enough, more than enough for one lifetime. I have to get my ass in shape, Ted said. All this walking is killing me. Ted stopped and sat on the guardrail, allowing Susan a chance to catch up. She sat next to him and put her head on his shoulder. It was the one thing left that felt familiar. He saw the gray ash on her shoulder and brushed it away absently, 
his face crunching up with curiosity. We're in pretty good shape for our age, Susan said. Do you remember when I had my midlife crisis? Ted laughed. When I started going to the gym at the ripe old age of 26? Susan laughed. Real laughter. Yeah, it lasted a week until you realized a midlife crisis was too much work. Do you think maybe that's what marriage is all about? Finding someone who can tolerate your various levels of absurdity over the years? Quite possible. I was knitting at 30. Remember that sweater I made for you that Christmas? With the reindeer on it? Ted laughed so hard he nearly tumbled off the guardrail. I tried so hard to love that sweater. The deer looked like otters. I didn't have the heart to bury it in the yard. Susan laughed with him, feeling almost normal for a second. It felt like any other chilly night at home, sitting with drinks on the deck, huddled up in sweatshirts, just enjoying the conversation. Susan realized Ted remembered everything up to the crash, but just like flipping a switch, had forgotten everything that had happened since. It filled her with overwhelming sadness. She'd never felt so alone. What do you think comes next? Ted asked. What do you mean? When we're fifty, sixty, seventy, didn't you ever wonder what we'd be like when we're old? Sure, she said, holding back tears. I think everyone wonders what their life will be like when they get old. Where will they work? Where will they live? Who will their friends be? Aging is one of life's mysteries. No one ever knows what's waiting for them around the bend. We'll still have each other. Ted kissed her cheek, so sweetly and innocently that she wanted to break down into tears. He looked at her, confused. What's wrong, Ted? How did we get here? We walked, she said. You must have hit your head, babe. It'll come back to you. He nodded quickly, accepting Susan's words for fact. He stood, stretched, and held out a hand to help her up. You ready? This is nice and all, but I'd kill for a soft pillow right now. I couldn't agree more. She held his hand tightly as they walked to the center line and followed the road into the night. Susan couldn't help but think they were approaching a point of no return. What if I'm wrong, she thought. As much as she feared Ted losing his mind, it was an even more terrifying idea that she was the one losing hers. What if she was the one imagining all of this? Where did that leave her? There was no way to tell. Not until they reached the resort. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Who's Afraid as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com, where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free 
and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy.